Let's bow together and ask the Lord's blessing on the ministry of the Word this afternoon. Our Father in Heaven, do help us as we come to the Scriptures uh, to consider them in this systematic way and to ask uh, what they teach us regarding the sacraments and in particular the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Deepen our understanding of this ordinance, Christ, that You have given to the church. Um, Deepen our understanding of it so that we might approach it with reverence and be even further nourished by it than we've been in the past as we come to it with an increased understanding. Strengthen our faith, Lord, we pray in the, by the hearing of your word. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-two through 34 in just a moment. Uh, but first we will uh, read the catechism question and answer for today, catechism question number 102, which asks, what is the Lord's Supper? That's a good question. What is it? What is this thing that we observe each Lord's Day uh, that we call the Lord's Supper? And the answer is is very good, very helpful, rather thorough. Uh, The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the New Testament instituted by Jesus Christ, wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine, according to His appointment, His death is shown forth, and the worthy receivers are, not after a corporeal or carnal manner, but by faith, made partakers of His body and blood with all His benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth and grace. The kids are all thinking to themselves, how am I going to memorize the answer to that question? It's very long and rather complicated. Well, do your best and do try to get the gist of it, the meaning of it. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11.23. We'll read through verse 34. This passage should sound very familiar. Uh, to you. Uh, We read a portion of it uh, from time to time as I administer the Lord's Supper here. Here the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself." This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together it will not be for judgment. About the other things I will give directions when I come. This now the reading of God's most holy word. May He have the blessing. His blessing to the preaching of it this afternoon. The question, uh, what is the Lord's Supper, has been somewhat controversial throughout the history of the church, and especially at the time of the Protestant Reformation. Over time, four views emerged concerning the substance of, of the bread and the wine. What is the Lord's Supper? What, what's going on here? And, and how are we to think of, of the bread and the wine? Uh, four views emerged over time, and these four views each differ in their opinion 
concerning what Christ meant when He said, This is my body, and this is my blood. How are we to take that? What did Christ mean when He said, This is my body, and this is my blood? The Romanist view is called transubstantiation, and it is the idea that when the priest blesses the elements, they do actually turn into the body and blood of Jesus. Physically, they, they, they turn into the body and blood of Jesus. I'm stating this very simply here, of course, but that is the view uh, that we call transubstantiation. The Reformers dismissed this as unbiblical, nonsensical, and superstitious. The Lutherans, following Luther, hold to a view called consubstantiation, And the idea here is that the elements remain bread and wine. They do not physically change. But that Christ is is really present all around the elements bodily somehow. Um, They believe that the real body and blood of Christ are present all around the elements when when they are blessed. So it's not quite transubstantiation, but we call this consubstantiation. Christ is present with the elements somehow, though they remain bread and wine. Those following the reformer Ulrich Zwingli hold to what is known as the memorialist view. And this is the idea that Christ is not present at all in or around the elements, but that the church is merely called to remember the work of Christ in the supper. So nothing happens um, when the elements are blessed. Uh, this is a memorial. It's a time for remembering what Christ did for us in His death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, it's a time for remembrance. And finally, the Calvinists walk a middle road between the memorialists and the Lutherans by insisting that though Christ is not present bodily, He is present in a special way spiritually when the church assembles to observe the supper. The Calvinist position agrees with Zwingli that the supper is a memorial. It is that, isn't it? Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. So it is a time for us to remember what Christ has accomplished. Uh, The Calvinists also agree with Zwingli that there is no real presence of Christ bodily, so we are against the Romanists and we are against the Lutherans in this regard. Christ is not present bodily or physically. But the Calvinist position also agrees with the Lutherans that the supper is more than just a memorial, for Christ is present according to His divinity. He's present according to the power of the Holy Spirit. And we hold to the Calvinistic position here at Emmaus. We would say that the bread is bread and the wine is wine, physically speaking. Nothing more needs to be said about uh, the the physical elements. But this is not just a memorial. It's not just a time for remembering. No, there is something special about the Lord's Supper, about the bread and the wine. something, Something spiritual is going on here. We would say the same thing about baptism, wouldn't we? The waters that we baptize people in, it's just water. Same kind of water you drink, same kind of water you take a bath in, same type of water you you swim in. But the baptismal water, there's something special about it uh, because something sacred is happening there when someone is 
brought under the water and then up again in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, we trust, is powerfully at work uh, through these common elements in baptism. And so it is with the Lord's Supper. Bread and wine, yes, but set apart for a a holy use. And as the people remember Christ in the elements, the Spirit of God, we believe, is working powerfully uh, in and through these common things. When Christ said... This is my body and this is my blood. It should be clear to all that he was not speaking in a literal way, but rather meant this signifies or represents my body and blood. I think that would have been the natural way for the disciples to take it. For they sat with him and they watched him hold the bread and the cup with his physical hands. And they could in that moment easily distinguish between the bread and his body the wine and his blood. They knew that they were not being served literally um, blood and flesh. They knew that they were being served bread and wine. They were to take this to mean that these things represent Christ's broken body and his shed blood. I think this would have been the natural way to take it. Add to this the fact that Christ also said in this moment, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Think about that for a moment. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Really, is this cup the new covenant? Or does this cup represent the new covenant? Its promises given to us in Christ. I think all would agree that the cup itself is not the new covenant, but the cup represents the new covenant ratified in Christ's blood. The disciples must have known that. He was speaking figuratively. And when Christ instituted the supper, He did call His disciples to remember Him. Do this in remembrance of Me, He said. So the supper is a memorial, as I have said. It is a time for remembering and giving thanks. But we say that it is more than a memorial. The supper is to be viewed as a means of grace through which God nourishes His people by the Spirit. That, is, that it is a means of grace is proven in part by the fact that to eat and drink in an unworthy manner results in judgment. Think about that for a moment. That, that something sacred is going on here, that something spiritual is going on here, is proven by the fact that for people to come and to partake of the the supper in an unworthy manner results in judgment. This This is holy, therefore. This is sacred. It's not to be approached lightly. That is what Paul clearly said in 1 Corinthians 11, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died even. So God really had judged um, those who came to the supper and and, and partook in an unworthy manner. Uh, But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So I'm saying this, if the supper were only a memorial, if it were true uh, that it was just a time for remembering and that Christ were not really present at all, then why the judgment? I think we must view the supper as more than a memorial. Christ is present. The supper is sacred, therefore, not because Christ is present bodily, but because He is present in His divinity and by the power of the Holy Spirit. The supper is to be approached with reverence, therefore. And this is what our catechism teaches. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the New Testament, it says. True, the Lord's Supper was instituted as Christ celebrated the last Passover with His disciples. But the Lord's Supper is distinct from the Passover. It's a new thing. An ordinance of the New Testament instituted by Jesus Christ, our catechism says. It's a new thing. So then, 
If we wish to know what the Lord's Supper is and how it is to be observed, we must go to the New Testament Scriptures and listen to the words of Christ and His Apostles. The word wherein indicates that we are about to learn what happens in the Supper. Wherein, by giving and receiving bread and wine. So, so these are the elements that are to be used. Bread and wine. And these elements are to be given and received according to Christ's appointment. That is to say, in accordance with His instructions. So we're to be careful to do what Christ has told us to do as we give and receive bread and wine in the Lord's Supper. When this is done faithfully, Christ's death is shown forth. So the breaking of the bread is a symbol of Christ's broken body. And when the cup is presented, it is a symbol of Christ's shed blood. We are reminded of the incarnation of Christ's sinlessness, of His substitutionary sacrifice as we observe the Lord's Supper. Again, Christ's death is shown forth. We are also to remember His resurrection, His ascension, and the hope of His eventual return. And those who receive the elements in a worthy manner are, our catechism continues, made partakers of Christ's body and blood. That's an interesting statement there, right? They are made partakers of Christ's body and blood. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10.16, which is listed as a proof text in our catechism. Here Paul says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So there is a sense in which when we partake of the bread and cup, we participate or have fellowship or communion with Christ. And so this sounds like more than a memorial to me. It's not just a time of remembering, but there's some sort of participation with Christ that takes place. We are, we are somehow united to Him as we observe the, the supper. There's something spiritual that is going on. But notice the qualifications that our catechism makes to help guard us against the heirs of the Romanists and the Lutherans. Worthy receivers are not... Okay, so here are the qualifications. Worthy receivers are not after a corporeal or, and carnal manner, but by faith made partakers of His body and blood. Corporeal means fleshly. Carnal means bodily. And so the point is clear. When believers partake of the supper worthily and by faith... They feast on Christ. They feast on Christ. They, they participate somehow with Him. They have fellowship with Him. They feast on Christ, but not in a fleshly way. No, they feast on Him spiritually to the nourishment of their souls. They partake of Christ and receive all His benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. Our catechism concludes. I think this is wonderfully rich teaching here. It's a wonderful summary of what the Scriptures teach regarding uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, it should move us to approach the Lord's Supper in a certain way. One, it should move us to never neglect the sacrament, but to partake each Lord's Day knowing that it is a means of grace. God nourishes His people through this ordinance. So we are to assemble together. To not to ne- we're not to neglect the fellowship, but we are to come together and we are to feast upon Christ, not bodily, but, but spiritually. Two, it should move us to partake in a worthy manner. That is to say, by faith and with repentance, we we should examine ourselves before we partake to be sure that we are persevering in the faith and to be sure that we are turning from from known sin. Uh, 
three, I think it should move the church, particularly the elders, to guard the table. Elders must warn Christians to come worthily and warn the faithless to abstain. For here, it is our union with Christ that is signified and even enjoyed. It's not just signified, but it's also enjoyed. When we partake of the bread and the cup, we are, we are participating with Christ somehow. There's something spiritual that's going on. And so the elders of the church, the whole church, we need to be careful to guard the table, to warn those without faith or those living a life of hypocrisy to, to abstain lest they eat and drink judgment to themselves as was described in 1 Corinthians. The Lord's Supper is a sacred meal to be enjoyed by Christ's church. It's not for the world. It's for those who have faith in Christ. So again, what is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the New Testament instituted by Jesus Christ, wherein, by giving and receiving bread and wine, according to His appointment, His death is shown forth, and the worthy receivers are, not after a corporeal or carnal manner, but by faith, made partakers of His body and blood, with all His benefits, to their spiritual nourishment and growth and grace. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Our Father in Heaven, we pray that You would use the Word of God preached, Lord's Day by Lord's Day here in this congregation. Uh, draw sinners to repentance. Strengthen those who have faith. We pray that you would also use the sacraments, and in particular the Lord's Supper. We pray that through it you would draw sinners to repentance, as the death of Christ is shown forth, and that you would strengthen those who have faith as we partake uh, in a worthy manner. O oh God, we pray that you would strengthen us and nourish us so that we might serve you, O oh God, and live for your glory. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.